Welcome to the Fratello Podcast. This is Mike Stockton coming to you from The Hague. This is RJ coming to you from Frankfurt. No, joking. We're here together in The Hague. Yeah. So here we are after uh, several weeks of uh, being away. So uh, thanks for your patience out there. And Just to uh, honor this event, I drove myself up from uh, Frankfurt to the Netherlands because the borders are now open. Open. Yeah. So I I came up to see uh, the Fratello headquarters here in The Hague. Uh, Had a barbecue at uh, Bert's house last night. Had a frikadellen for lunch today. Yeah, today was a, uh, yeah, it's been a very Dutch trip. I've I've, uh, checked a lot of boxes. And yeah, checking out the uh, studio here where we uh, recorded a video yesterday. You'll see hopefully pretty soon on some uh, pretty exciting Seiko watches and ran some RC cars here in the building. Speaking of which, uh, RJ, what have you been working on RC-wise? Well, they are in front of us. Uh, Recently, I bought uh, three RC cars to our team associated uh, RC B4.1s. And one X project um, cubed X6. And the last one I really don't know. It was just part <laughs> of the package. And it came with a ton of spare parts. You've seen the spare parts. I, yeah. feel, I feel almost like a watchmaker. Yeah. With all these spare parts that came with it. Yeah, super cool. And uh, you were able to source a uh, RC10 B4.1 for me locally here that I picked up and graciously shared some of those uh, parts in case something's broken so kind of excited to have a semi-modern rc10 and uh yeah you told me they go like stink and unfortunately you burned out one of your uh one of yours here in the carpet right yeah so we have a little open space here in the office and yesterday together with bert with gerard and with you mike and myself we drove our RC cars. It was a bit of a strange sight, perhaps, yeah. for other people in the office, <laughs> but we don't care. Yeah, we set up a ramp and uh, jumped them, flipped them over, and uh, Gerard even broke my car a little bit. So, yeah, all, all in a day's work here. All in the game. Yeah, and I, uh, I've i actually not built anything brand new since our, our last one, but I picked up a uh, vintage Madcap, and I picked up a... Vanquish that I actually gave to you, and I took both of them apart, um, put in new bearings and everything like that. And so, yeah, when you talk about feeling like a watchmaker, I was actually uh, doing a little repair, and it's amazing to see some of these 20, 30 year old RC cars how, yeah, people screw in uh, something too tightly 30 years ago. When you undo it, it just disintegrates and falls apart. So, then you get into trying to source uh, new parts or like a little workaround to uh, to fix them up. So yeah, yeah. So that's our our latest RC car uh, adventures. Yeah, but it's good to have you here finally. Yeah, it's nice to be here. And honestly, I mean, for those of you, especially those of you in the UK or still um, in countries or states in the US where you're not really allowed to go anywhere. Um, getting in the car and driving about four and a half hours north was kind of liberating. 
and okay there was a little bit more traffic than there was uh, a month or so ago just on my normal commute but and, and a lot of construction they're definitely taking the time to do that but it wasn't bad and um, it was also just nice to to get out and not be within the same you know 20 30 kilometer radius so yeah good to be here very good to be here so yeah great to be here and uh, yeah just nice to get away a little bit yeah, good. So we have a, uh, a nice topic for today. Yeah, we're going to talk about some watches that are on our wish list. And none of these mean that we're going we're gonna to go out and buy them uh, imminently. But we thought we'd just talk about what's been on our mind to purchase. We've certainly had a, a decent amount of time over the last few months to just sit there and think. Um, but we'll start with a Handgelenk. Kontrolle. Do you want to go first? No, you go. Okay. So as I came up here early in the week and I knew I'd be here um, on a Tuesday, I figured I'd, uh, I'd wear a Speedmaster. Um, despite the fact that I brought a lot of Seikos for the video, I've had my uh, Speedy Tuesday 2 on the entire time. and On an interesting bracelet. Yeah, very interesting bracelet. You actually helped me out with this along with our uh, watchmaking friend Paul Diva. Yeah. Um, this is the 1186, which uh, was originally on what? Was it like a dynamic? Yeah, not a Speedmaster, something different. <clears throat> so it looks like an Oyster bracelet. Yeah, so it's an Oyster bracelet. And I think um, Paul removed the topmost length be because it was actually wider than the 20 millimeters that the Omega uses. And um, now it, it fits perfectly with a uh, with the 20 millimeter lug width. And I think I paired this with what, the 633 uh, N-Links that typically you pair with what, like an 1171? Yeah. And it looks fantastic. I mean, people ask all the time, what is this bracelet? Because Omega did an Oyster bracelet for which special model? For the Apollo Soyuz from 19, well, people think it's from 1975 because that was the year of the Apollo Soyuz mission, but the watch came in 76. Okay, and that bracelet is kind of unobtainium, right? Yeah. I mean, it's impossible. So yeah, it was part of that watch. Which, if you want to go source one of those watches, you're Good probably luck. talking how much? I don't know. It's uh, five digits, and it's not a hundred. It's it's not close to a hundred, but it's I think closer to forty k, something like that, fifty k perhaps. Yeah, and so so this is actually if you can find this eleven eighty six bracelet, which when you found two of them, they were new old stock, and they were like what eighty five or a hundred euros each. Yeah, something. We got helped by a vintage watchzilla. The account name from Marcus on uh, Instagram. Oh yeah, hey, I think he came up with it with the with the idea to use this specific bracelet, and uh, yeah, I sourced two through uh, eBay, I think, and um, yeah, and they you look got great. one, I got one. Yeah, they look really good. And again, everybody always asks, you know, what is that? So eleven eighty six. Have your watchmaker remove the top link, and you're in business. Nice. So how about you? Well, um, yesterday was a Tuesday, and. Um, I put on the gold uh, Speedmaster, the Moonshine from last year, and uh, I'm still wearing it today. I could have switched, but uh, I decided not to. It's my, uh, sometimes it almost feels like a bit embarrassing to say, but it's almost my, my daily wearer. Well, it's the only watch you've worn since I've been here since Monday. And yeah. anything that we've gone and done, which has been, uh, you know, watch stuff to going to the supermarket, you've been rocking this. And I have to say, I'm completely used to seeing a gold watch on your wrist. Like, it's no big deal. Yeah. 
It is, but it isn't. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what's on the wrist. Uh, a couple Speedmasters here. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we fold right into our topic with a few watches that are currently on our radar. So RJ, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so I, I select three watches that are on my radar, some for a long time, a very long time. Others are uh, quite recent uh, because um, it's a recent model and the model that I picked is also really new. I haven't seen it in the flash uh, yet, this, uh, this particular um, execution. But I will kick off with one that I've been longing for for a long time. It's a 90s watch and I recently also discussed it with uh, Zenit when I was uh, in, uh, invited to do a Instagram live session with them. Mm. I uh, spoke uh, about them with, um, uh, with them about this Zenith El Primero Rainback, uh, sorry, uh, Rainbow Flyback. Mm. And it's a 90s watch, it has these, these it's a colorful watch, it has uh, a yellow and white and blue and red on the dial. And it came with either a leather strap and there was a version with a bracelet. And it has the, the high beat El Primero movement, of course, uh, with a flyback function. And it's a super neat watch. And they, I think they did a, they, they a re-edition a few years ago. Um, much a, bigger, right? Much bigger, a bit more modernized. Um, I think it was similar to the Stratos thing that mm. they, they did back then. But the, the original one from the 90s, I really love it. And um, there are a few for sale on Chrono24. Uh, ranging between three and three and a half thousand euros, which is not that much um, for this watch, especially. But I want a really nice one. I want the one in good condition. Most of them, they, they have faded colors. Yeah, a lot of fading. Yeah, and without box and papers. And I want a full package. For me, that's part of the fun. I like the, f the fading can be nice. Uh, the red will turn a bit into pink. Mm. Um, so that that's a bit tricky. But um, it looks nice, and um, but I want a f full package. So that's that's the first one on my list, and I remember those from the late '90s, when I just moved uh, to uh, the Hague. Uh, I'm originally from the east part in the Netherlands, and there was a Zenith dealer in the city center of the Hague, and they had them in the in the shopping uh, in the in the window, and I remember they were like five and a half thousand Dutch guilders at the time, which is around two and a half thousand euros. Um, of course, I was a student, so I didn't have any money. And from the first money that I did have, I bought this uh, this Speedmaster. But uh, the yeah, it could have been an El Primero Rainbow Flyback. Mm -hmm. um, I li I really like to watch. It's still I think uh, the design is very nice. It looks a bit nineties these days, but I think the the bracelet was also quite a piece of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a really comfortable looking bracelet and. I did a, I guess it was probably last year sometime, I did a wrist game or crying shame on that. And the history is kind of cool because I think they submitted a bid to the, what, French military with that watch. And ultimately, um, I think the military canceled the need for the watch or went with something else due to budgeting or whatever. Um, and they... Um, and, and they ended up just producing it anyway. I think they figured they'd done the work and I don't know if they'd already ordered parts or something like that. But uh, yeah, really good, uh, good looking watch. I remember, I think it was in Japan some years ago and there were quite a few used ones there for, for one reason or another. And I was really attracted. And I think they made one with an orange dial as well, didn't they? I don't know. I, I know they made a gold steel model with okay. blue. Yep. Blue dial, blue bezel, and, and gold elements. And they had a full monochrome one, so black and white. Yeah. 
But yeah, you need the rainbow. You need the colors. Yeah, I agree. And I, agree. I just looked it up. Your article is from October 9, 2019. It's the Zenith Rainbow Flyback article uh, from the Wrist Game or Crying Shame um, section. And um, yeah, it looks neat. I look at it now once more. It looks really good. And yeah. um, date on uh, 4.30, which I not everyone likes. Primero, but... but what they did nicely is that on the date uh, aperture, um, they they have the, the the minute track. Yeah, on the inside um, of it. On the yeah? inside, it's really it's cool. cool. It's really cool. cool. And uh, yeah, beautiful watch. I wouldn't mind um, having one. Oh, and you wrote. I have the article in front of me. The French Ministry of Defense um, did it in '96. Mm. So there's a special version for them. Um, 25 years ago. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah. Let's say cool nice movement. Watch and I think for the money, you know, compared to like a Daytona from the time, it's obviously uh, a bargain, right? Yeah. So we have this voting thing going on on Fratello. You probably noticed in the last few weeks or months, perhaps. You can vote on certain articles. And um, we have been doing this for quite a while. But these days, the articles will also indicate that it's an article where we need your engagement, basically, in voting. And um, I just looked up the results of the, the Zenith El Primero uh, Rainbow Flyback. 63% was gain and 37% uh, was, was shame. Yeah. So, yeah, people, people seem to at least like the watch uh, conceptually, right? Yeah, exactly. Genau, oh. as they say in your fatherland. Stimmt. So, what did you pick? I picked, uh, I kind of went back and forth between a sort of neo vintage day date. Uh, I've, I've always liked those, but the reality is, I mean, that's a pretty hefty chunk of change. Um, I'm, I'm probably more interested in, in buying a vintage Datejust of some sort. And I really go back and forth on, on what model to buy. Um, I've looked at, um, I guess it's the 1601 with the smooth bezel. I really like that watch. That's the 1600. 1600? Yeah. And then I've seen some modern, so sapphire glass pieces, but 90s uh, two-tone versions with the nice. smooth bezel. Uh, very rare, not not easy to find those. Uh, but you know, I think I mentioned it on a prior podcast. There's just something about a 36 millimeter oyster case, and I own a uh, 90s Datejust in steel with the what they call kind of the machined uh, bezel, engine steel turns. bezel, yeah. engine turn. And I also own a 70s uh, Thunderbird in solid gold on strap. And they're great, but I yeah, I would really kind of like a vintage 70s, 80s steel Datejust. Um, I kind of said two-tone there, but I think reality is I would, I would like a steel one. It's just a great watch to wear every day. But the uh, Datejust in two-tone is how they should be. Yeah, it's fair. I mean... So at least if you go full steel, get some diamonds on the dial. Yeah. <laughs> And you got to go Jubilee, absolutely. Like they just as Jubilee. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason to go anything else. And um, yeah, and I'm kind of intrigued. Like when I look at um, used Datejust, it, to me, it's it's just not an area that I'm incredibly knowledgeable about. And the ranges of uh, dial styles and you know the years in which these certain dials are produced, I just don't know enough about them to feel comfortable. Um, and then. Yeah, I mean, I know um, 
yeah, I'm not very good at adjusting the date. And as we know, these early pieces did not have quick set of any sort. It's not like you could roll back to 10 p.m. and no. roll forward. So that's a little annoying, but still, I think it would be a really nice watch to wear for a week or two at a time, get it on the right date, and, and keep it there. So, you know, I may, I may keep my eyes open for that, because I think you can still get a pretty nice vintage date just between four and 5,000, yeah? Yeah, I have a date just 1,600 from, I think, 1969 or 1970. Mm. It's on Jubilee, and I believe, but I'm not entirely sure, that the 1,600 used to be delivered on Oyster, but as you know, um, if you went to a Rolex dealer at the you time, can. you said, ah, I want to have a Jubilee, they would switch it for you. Um, so I don't know if it's, uh, if it's original, if it came original with it or not, or that it was uh, changed by a, by a client. Mm. Um, I have the box there, and um, yeah, there's a nice grayish dial. Um, but like you said, you have to really put some effort into it for adjusting yeah. the date, because yeah. it's not a quick set. It's a nice watch, it's 36 millimeter. It's quite flat compared to day dates, for example. Mm. But um, yeah, I, re I rarely wear it, to be honest. I have it since 2002 or 2003. And at the time, the price was 1300 euro. Yeah, they were nothing. They yeah. really were very inexpensive. At some point, they just made a huge step. And I also think that people like uh, Jasper Leivering from Amsterdam Vintage Watches, he really, really pushed them hard yep. on Datejust. So I think that also pushed the price up. And that guy really has some uh, some interesting digests, and uh, he told me once that he pushes out a few digests every week. So it's uh, yeah, big sellers for him, and they're quite popular. I think more popular than ever. Yeah. Um, well, certainly, if you want vintage Rolex and you want something sporty, that stuff has all gone crazy. So a digest is still kind of approachable. Tough to find unpolished, though. I mean, a yeah. lot of professional people wore them who followed the servicing rules to the T. And yeah. that meant polishing, it meant changing things. Yeah. Um, new handset. New handset, mm -hmm. everything. And, you know, talking about your um, comment about the bracelet being switched, I mean, just thinking back, do you remember back in the um, 80s and 90s when you would go into a, uh, a watch shop, like a Rolex AD, they would have those uh, like lucite or plexiglass things with the dials in them? So you could like choose the wood dial or the onyx dial and things well, like that? I wasn't in Florida. I was in the east part of the <laughs> Netherlands. The closest Rolex dealer was like a two-hour two drive. So that didn't fly. But uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I saw, the, I saw those displays and I know what you're talking about. But I mean, you know, so when you talk about originality, who knows, right? Yeah, exactly. It was all like, a, like you have today that you configure your, your, your watch by, for some brands online. At that time, you configured it at the dealer. Yeah. Yeah. There was a book or a demonstration thing like the plexiglass, and you could just mix and match your own Datejust or yeah. Daydate. I mean, you bring your you bring your wife in, and uh, she says, "Yeah, I really like that, but I could use some diamonds." And they said, "We can do that." No of course. problem. So. And these days, the rules are a bit more strict. Also by Rolex, I think that um, doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah, Although you can configure a watch on their website, and then it comes up with the existing reference. Okay. But I think. The, the dial swapping, I think that's something of the past that the dealers did. Yeah, they probably don't want them opening yeah. them up and doing that kind of service there. So, yeah. so your first pick is a date just 1600, you're saying, you're telling me. Yeah, something, yeah, around that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah How about you? Yeah, well, we, we didn't, um, we didn't um, tune our choices, but my second choice, as you can see here on my notes, 
is that I picked a Rolex Day-Date in 36 millimeter. 36 millimeter for me is a bit small. I have 19 centimeter uh, uh, wrists, but it, I, I can manage. Um, I tried the, the Day-Date 2 at some point, but that was just a clunky watch. That yeah. was a bit ridiculous. 41 millimeter, if I'm not mistaken, and the whole design ratio was gone. And it looked a the bit proportions awkward. Were proportions out, were right? off, yeah. Then they released a 40 millimeter day date and that looks quite nice, I have to say. And I love the one with the green dial. Mm. But yeah, I pick a 36 because I think for me that's the perfect proportioned day date. I don't want to have like a totally vintage one, like a 1803 and not even an 18038, which was uh, 78 and later. It was the first reference with a sapphire crystal. Mm. No, I, I picked the, the 118238. Uh, uh, or the 18238. Uh, the 118238 is the later one with the more massive bracelet and clasp, I think. And the 18238 is the first day day to have double quick set. Mm, which is nice. That's really nice. Which is good to have, I think, on a watch like that. And I can imagine it's uh, it could be something of a daily wearer, to be honest. And um, if you often use it, or and then you put it off for or two days, you don't want to go through all the hassle with the day and date. Um, the quick, yeah, the double quick set is nice. I would like to have a, a full set. And one was offered to me, I think last November, by our friends from localtime.nl. Check them out. Um, he had one from the first owner from 1992, if I'm not mistaken. And it was like 12 or 13,000 euros. Yeah, it was an is. awesome set. I didn't do it because uh, I didn't have the funds for it at that time um, or today. But um, yeah, that was quite a, well, I won't say a bargain, but it's a very nice price for a watch like that. It's a lot of gold. It's a lot of gold. And it, it, I, I briefly thought about uh, swapping my, uh, my Rolex Submariner for it, that I really never wear, <laughs> uh, the modern one. And those go for quite some good money these days as well. So that only would, uh, yeah, that, that would uh, decrease the, 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 the damage a bit on the, on the day date. But I think I will... Be sorry if I sell the or swap the Submariner, so I'll keep that one and just save up for a day date at some point. But I really like it, and I like the yellow gold one. The white gold ones are also nice. I think Gerard has a white gold one that would make it an 18239, mm -hmm. and the 18238 is yellow gold. And I think it's for me, it should be yellow gold. How about Tridor? That's hot. I don't know the reference, but those watches were quite special at the time white gold, <laughs> yellow gold, and rose gold. And I there's, I think there's also a rose gold, full rose gold, but I don't know yeah, the reference, is, yeah, but uh, yeah. you don't see them that often. No, it, that's really quite, um, that's bright. Those yeah, are bright. it is. They're bright. And then speaking of the dial, mm. also very important, I like the tapestry dial. Yeah, so we did, I don't know if you recall, I did a TBT article on that, uh, and I think I incorrectly called it a tuxedo dial, but I had a, I have a, I have a friend who... Um, his wife has one, and she actually received it from her uh, ex-husband when their when their child was born, and she was kind of toying with getting rid of it. Um, and in the end, she decided to keep it. But I had never really spent a lot of time with a day date, and it was really a work of art. I, I have to say the bracelet was tremendous. It was tremendous. I mean, beautifully made, um, and... This one just happened to be in you know perfect shape, really never polished, and 
I was kind of close to uh, to making an offer on it. It just wasn't the right time, but it was a striking watch and I enjoyed it. Seriously heavy. Um, and I mean, it brings me back to a time where, I mean, nobody really in my family wore one of these, but I mean, this was the watch. I mean, it wasn't an AP, it wasn't a Patek. It or was, Hublot. Yeah, it, it was, you know, a Rolex president was the watch and it was worn from everybody from shady characters to oil titans to you know people on wall street but i think you know they are bright it's it's a it's a blingy watch um, but you can kind of step them down a little bit depending on the dial and i think you're right that uh, tapestry dial is quite um if, if, if you can use the word subtle, it's relatively subtle, right? <laughs> yeah, it's relatively subtle. And I also like the champagne dials, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't go diamonds or something, but the champagne dials are nice. I've seen them with all black dials. That's nice, black. That's also nice, but the, I think the, the tapestry dial is, uh, is uh, super nice looking, gives the dial some depth, yep. bit of that Grand Psycho thing that, uh, that they have today. But um, yeah, it's super nice. and. Um, I like to have the, the, the Preston bracelet on it, of course, with a hidden clasp. Um, yeah, I wrote beautiful that, watch. That article, the uh, the nickname back in the uh, oil boom time was the Texas Timex. That's that, what it was called. Wow. Because they were that common. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing because these watches, I recall go, walking into a, a Rolex authorized dealer, I think early 2000s or late 90s. And these watches were expensive. Like twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars, yeah, right? Yeah, amazing. I mean, they're thirty-five now, aren't they new? I yeah, think? thirty-four, thirty-five thousand euro for a new uh, Rolex day date. Can look it up. These days, Rolex has prices on their website, which is really good. I think. It's, yeah. Um, but no, the the uh, the day date, you know, way back in the day, easily crested ten thousand dollars, which was like uh, that was a number that uh, you know was pretty much untouchable for all but you know the very very wealthy and you know the fact that you can buy them vintage now sometimes for under 10 and they're in nice shape um you're probably really talking about like you said 12 13 for a really great one but you know if you like the watch um there's there's a lot here yeah so just looked it up a, a day date a 36 millimeter yellow gold is thirty one thousand six hundred. Yeah. That's the price in the Netherlands, so due to the VAT, it can be a bit more expensive or a bit cheaper, but not much. And um, yeah, it looks good. It's nice. It's um, and uh, a dial with diamonds is three uh, k more. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I don't know the reference these days actually whether it's. Um, yeah, it's a lot of numbers now. It's so. oh yeah, yeah it is. It's the one two eight, two three eight. There you go. So they swapped the second di digit. Okay. Yeah, easy. Yeah, well, that's a nice pick. And, um, you know, watch probably 10 years ago, I would have said, I will never want one of those. And I'm with you. I think they're great. They're great. And I have to say, the size we have, uh, one of our friends is the Dapper Dutch dude on Instagram. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ruud. And the guy's really tall. He's like a basketball, he is a basketball player. Okay. But he's really tall and, and uh, huge wrists. And he wears it. And it looks really good. If you go to his uh, Instagram page, Dapper Dutch dude, you'll, you'll see it. He often wears it and shows it there. It looks good. Yeah, I was watching uh, The Last Dance, which I'm sure a lot of people have been watching lately, mm -hmm. the, uh, the run of the, 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 the Last Bulls championship. And I think I saw, I caught Michael Jordan wearing one. I caught Dennis Rodman wearing, uh, I guess, a platinum version yeah. when he took his little holiday to Vegas during the season. Um, and I, 
I didn't catch the watch close up, but what you could see in this dimly lit club, a lot of diamonds. Yeah, I saw the first few episodes and I'm not a basketball by any means. It's not a really relevant sport here uh, in the Netherlands, but I can I understand that it is in the US. Um, so I watched it, so it, it doesn't ring, all the, the players, the name ring a bell, but not, nothing much more, but it's interesting to see. And I think one of the players could be Jordan, I don't know. Um, I think it was a, like a, a Roger Debris or something he's yeah, wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Interesting. Yeah. Uh, is that the one with the three? Uh, yeah. Uh, Scotty Pippen. Oh, Scotty Pippen. Yeah, yeah, one of the guys was wearing uh, Roger Debris. Uh, X, I think Excalibur, or what's, what's the name of these things? Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's, yeah. And by the way, as an aside, it's a great show. Even if you don't like basketball, it's a really well done documentary. And yeah, it's fun to watch. I'm not a basketball guy, but it's entertaining. Yeah, seeing the sneakers and the suits from that period, epic. Just epic. Yeah, nice. So, Shoulder pads, I guess. Yeah, and like, um, because these guys were so tall, I mean, it was typical, like on draft day, to get a really loud, audacious suit to stand out. It was kind of like going to the Kentucky Derby or something. And. I remember some of these guys when they would get drafted they would have like 30 buttons on their suit going down it's incredible <laughs> and they're really baggy so nice yeah fantastic um all right so i'll go second or I'll, I'll name my second watch here and this is a watch that i think is always in the back of my mind but i really struggle to justify the uh price of it but i but i really like it um, the Patek Philippe uh, Calatrava, the 5196P. So if you're familiar with the, um, the Patek Calatrava, that's really their classic dress watch. And uh, they make that, I believe, in um, um, various uh, flavors of gold with kind of a, a white or, or off-white dial with some gold indices. And then they make, um, they make this platinum version. Um, and it is notable for having um, applied Breguet numbers. Um, it has the same sub-dial as uh, the other 5196s, but I just think these uh, applied uh, numbers and just the way the dial is set up, it's almost a little sector light, like just looks fantastic. So these, I want to say, I saw one in the window at uh, Vempe in Frankfurt not too long ago, and the the list price is somewhere around thirty four or thirty five thousand euros, which is a heck of a lot of money. And I mean, RJ is kind of looking at Chrono twenty four here, and you don't really you see them kind of starting at the twenty six twenty seven range, but oftentimes that's without um, uh, without box. Um, but I see some here at 26,000 euros, but it's a lot of money and it's a hand wound watch, which I really like. Um, 37 millimeters, it uses the caliber 215 PS, which I'm sure by all uh, accounts is a great movement and yeah. beautifully made. Uh, I would struggle a little bit to, to do this because I'm not exactly sure how often I would wear it. I mean, it definitely is dressy, even though with the applied numerals, I think it lends it a little bit more of a, of a versatile look. Yeah. Um, you can go for the white gold one, but it's a different dial, of course. Yeah, I mean, to me, like when you get into the other variants, you get that really, really stark, plain Patek look and there's nothing wrong with it and I'm sure I would grow to like it but I think if I were gonna go for it I would want to get the one I want yeah um, and I've seen people wear a Calatrava 37 millimeter Calatrava in fact when I went to a Breitling event um, 
their their uh, designer that uh, they they'd uh, recently hired their head designer um, had come from from elsewhere and his wife actually had bought him a gold Calatrava in 37 millimeters and he was wearing it and I don't know he's wearing like khakis and a and a shirt or something you know yeah. and it looked good I mean good looking watch yeah I, I like it I like the yellow gold versions that I uh, that I saw and they come with this uh, this eggshell kind of dial color yeah and that's what it's he beautiful had. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like a rose gold with an eggshell yeah. and, and it's nice on a, on a brown alligator strap or something yeah. looks classy and um, prices are okay-ish if I see it starts at around uh, 12 13k um, beautiful watch really beautiful yeah I just think uh, look you know there's something about there'd be something nice about owning at least one watch from that company because you know just the reputation and everything um, but at the end of the day, if I look at that type of watch, I just kind of have to ask myself, how often would I really wear it? And I have to say, if I look at the prices, like I said, 12, 13, I see 14K, uh, an entire row. Um, I think I would stick to my day-to-day -day choice for that money. Yeah, yeah, a little more... It feels like you're getting something a little more you get, substantive. You, yeah. Yes, more uh, substantial and um, perhaps more suitable for daily wear. And it suits my Just lifestyle you, a bit better. Uh, Not that I yeah. do that much. <laughs> but it's, it's I, I'm always, I think the Patek is a bit fragile looking, but perhaps it's also, it is a bit fragile yeah. if it damages in the day days as well. If any shady drug dealer can wear it in the 80s or 90s, I can wear it. And, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, you know, not, not that it's one of my picks, but I still remember back in the, I want to say it was the 90s or early 2000s, they made a um, a really art deco dialed gondola or mm, rectangular yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, and I remember. And I found these, they're, they're in white gold or rose gold or yellow gold. And you can find these for um, yeah between 6,000 and 7,500. Wow. And I think new these were at least 10,000, yeah? And they're not big watches, but um, I I like them. I think they, they look really nice. And uh, yeah, you're still getting that Patek Philippe um, and something that looks a little bit unique. So I, uh, I could end up uh, kind of, yeah, you got one right there. Um, you can see the model yeah. Go down a bit, uh, down right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So yeah, they're nice. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So what of what what do you got for uh, your next pick? Your your final pick. My final pick. It's a modern watch. Um, I've been very enthusiastic about it uh, in my articles recently, and um, it was introduced a few years ago. It's the Octo Finissimo, mm. and um, this year uh, in January in uh, Dubai during their uh, LVMH Watch Week or LVMH Week. They introduced this satin polished steel version of the Octo Finissimo, and I really, really love it. And um, I yesterday I published, uh, or today I published uh, the review on the gold version with the leather strap. There was a black ceramic version that I think Rob or Ben reviewed. Um, but my pick would be between the gold on a leather strap or the full stainless steel. And now a few weeks ago, and I haven't seen it in the flesh yet because um, it's very difficult to, to get uh, watches uh, here in the Netherlands right now with all the restrictions and, and, and stuff. Um, 
So shipping from Switzerland is a bit of a, a thingy, uh, although it's slowly starting, uh, slowly starting again. Um, they introduced one with a blue dial, with uh, a yeah. sunburst blue dial, reference 10, uh, 10 3, 4, 3, 1, and um, it looks stunning. So it's basically the same watch as the one with the black dial, mm -hmm. but this one has a blue dial, and I think that makes a bit of a difference. It's a bit more uh, playful. Mm. And um, otherwise the watch becomes very like monochrome, very yeah, one tone on the wrist and with the blue it pops a bit more. And I also like the gold one with the leather strap, but for me part of the fun of this watch is that the bracelet is so well executed. Yeah. And I think bracelet, we often discuss it and I, I think I often mention it in my articles. I'm very uh, critical towards bracelets uh, and bracelet designs. And I think it can really either make or break a watch. Yep. And um, I also discussed it with the designer at, um, at Bulgari and he told me that it's one of the most difficult things to do, mm. designing a bracelet. And I think he really did a nice job with this one and it's really integrated with the, with the Bulgari Octo Finissimo case. And well done, feels very nicely on the wrist. It's soft, there's no sharp, super sharp edges. Yeah, it's well engineered. and. For me, that's part of the fun. So I like the gold one, but it, the, the gold on gold is super expensive, like 40 or 50K. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, the gold on the leather strap, it's 22K. And then the steel one is 11.9K. Which is, I mean, we've talked about it compared to what we would say its competition is. And 15202, that's the competition for this yeah, watch, I think. Is... And this one, I had a 15202 and I sold it last year, but uh, I really love the watch. I had it for 10 years, but the magic was gone that I had with it in the beginning. In the beginning, I was really awed by it. It was such a nice piece. The AP. The AP. Yeah. And um, it was one of my, my grail watches and I got it and I had it for 10 years and I stopped wearing it at some point. And uh, I still really love the watch. I like it, but it's not not popping anymore. It's, it's, it has become more, more common. Um, when I bought it in 2009, I think, or 2008, the AP, um, everyone wanted it offshore. Hmm. Nobody wanted these, these Royal Oaks in steel, the normal models. And um, now suddenly you see a lot of people wearing them, even fakes. And um, yeah, that somehow has put me off. And I have to say the, the Bulgari Octo Finissimo gives me that same, yeah, sparkle and energy that the Royal Oak had, the, 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 yeah, the effect of the Royal Oak on me in the, in, the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, the Octo Finissimo does the same thing for me now. And I think it's a really cool watch and the price is unbeatable for that watch. It's, uh, it's still, it's, sure, it's a lot of money, um, but the AP 1502 is at least twice as much. Yeah, and, and we, we spoke about it before, um, you can get them. Um, so you don't have to pay some shady secondhand price or wait two or three or never to get it. Yeah. Um, which uh, I certainly hope for Bulgari that um, that's no sign of it of it not selling really well. Uh, but you know, I mentioned in an earlier show that when I went into the boutique to try one on, super friendly, um, and I'm with you. It was a work of art. Uh, some people don't really like the style. They they think it's just too out there. Uh, totally get it. I mean, it's certainly uh, a unique style, which I think is great. Uh, but to behold this thing and how thin it is and how well made. And like you said, the, the links um, are incredibly flexible. There's no sharp edges. It's really 
a wonderfully executed watch. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And um, so those, these three are on my list. So we have one more to go from your list. Yeah, and mine is also a, a current watch, although it's a watch that's theoretically not uh, available outside of Japan. Um, although I think uh, if you ask your local Grand Seiko boutique, um, perhaps they're willing to do something. But it is the Grand Seiko SBGW 235. And this is a watch that in earlier forms I used to see when I traveled to Japan. And it's kind of just a, a really simple round uh, dateless manual wine, stainless steel Grand Seiko with the 9S64 now, and it's 37 millimeters, and it comes on bracelet. Um, in Europe, they traditionally sell the SBGW231, which is basically the same thing, but it comes on leather, and instead of a blued uh, sweep seconds hand, I think it's just got the uh, chrome color like the rest of the hand. So not a real big difference, but you know, we're picky on bracelets, as RJ said, and we're pretty picky with Seiko yeah. and Grand Seiko, but this happens to be a really well-executed bracelet, kind of in a beads of rice style. And this watch, uh, if you've never seen one, this is really the kind of watch that can compete against, you know, again, that 36 millimeter oyster case. Uh, it's just a great everyday watch. It's got a little bit of water resistance. It's not overly sporty, but Super nice execution. I think new, they're roughly 4,500 to 5,000. Yeah, I think something like that. Um, I just got a note from one of our readers. Um, hi, Rob. Um, he got one more or less by accident. He was visiting a Seiko boutique in Hamburg, I think, in Germany. Okay. And uh, they had one. Okay. But like you said, it's not. I, I checked. It's not a. It's not a, a watch for outside of Japan, or at least not uh, for, for the European market. But uh, they had one, and I. What I noticed is that some of the Seiko or Grand Seiko boutiques they sometimes have like uh, JDMs, Japan domestic models, yep. uh, just for their clients to, for, to 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 be able to offer something special. So I think this was the case there as well because it's not regular collection here. Mm. But it's a beautiful watch. Um, yeah, I, I, I looked, and I don't think Gerard uh, has really done an article on it yet. And He's lazy. Yeah, we got to talk to him about yeah. that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, if you've been following Grand Seiko for the last couple of years, I mean, we're talking about it. They come out with a lot of limited edition watches. There's a lot, of, lot more color now. I mean, they've certainly upped their game in, in trying to appeal to the international markets. This watch is definitely more of a throwback to what Grand Seiko was offering before they went global, which were, you know, very serious looking watches, quite um, quite plain, but beautifully finished. And for me, I mean, probably of all three of the watches I've mentioned, this is probably the one that would be closest to the one that I'd pull the trigger on because I think I'd wear it most. And... Yeah, I, I, I like the, uh, I mean, I've always liked Grand Seiko. So, and it's kind of under the radar. Yeah. 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 Now it's a beautiful watch and um, I've tried it from Gerard and it's a small size, but it's, uh, it looks good, especially on the bracelet. It's really a, a looker. And well built. Yeah. And well built. So no Omegas on our list. No. And, you know, I, I keep going back and forth about the 300M because, uh, I mean, I just don't need another dive type watch, but I still think probably in the entire watch world, if you're looking for a watch that can do it all, that's brand new, sporty, you know, in-house, this and that, there's little that beats the 300M. 
Yeah, I think it's it's great value for money. There's um, a lot of choices. A lot color. of choices. It's beautiful. I think compared to the Aquaterra and some other models, I think it 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 offers just a bit more than those in terms of uh, functionality, perhaps, and and um, they're very versatile as well. But um, yeah, I, I I like it. I like the Bond version best, but mm. that's uh, significantly significantly more expensive. Yep. Um, and I have my steel caliber three two one on order, oh, nice. so that's coming in. So that's uh, that was on my wish list, but I couldn't include it because I already ordered it, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, same for the Hamilton uh, PSR in gold. I have that one on order oh. as well. Um, I have the Breitling Super Ocean fifty seven Heritage on order, so nice. oh, that's not on my list. So yeah. that should be here hopefully soon. I bought a Breitling recently. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, it's not not my first Breitling. I used to have a Navi Timer ninety two model in uh, bicolor. Mm-hmm. It was early two thousands. I think two thousand four that I bought one, and it was part of some some trade that I, that I did uh, back then. And at some point I sold it again as well. It was a bit smaller than the normal uh, Navi Timer models, and I didn't have a Breitling after anymore. And then. I saw Bernard Werk from Watching Magazine wearing his aerospace a couple of times. Uh, our own Bert has an aerospace. I with, bought one from Paul. With the RAF dial, you have one. I think Olgerd has one as well, next Rob. to an emergency. Rob and Rob Nuts has one. He's very crazy like about a them. special one, doesn't he? Like a really limited one, I think. Yeah, he also has like a, a model that has only like 20 or 25 pieces. Yeah. And of course, uh, our own Ben Hodges He's crazy about these uh, aerospaces, and uh, so I, I, yeah, I texted him a few times, and we, I questioned some, so some, uh, posed some questions about the aerospace, some different models, some different references. I am not really at home in these uh, the, the Breitling references, and um, yeah, I found one locally here in the Netherlands in Leiden, and uh, it was a watch guy, and he just, I think he bought another watch, and he wanted to to tr- to sell this one, and. Um, don't even recall what I paid, like 11 or 1200 euro for uh, aerospace from 2003 or 2004 mm. uh, with box papers, everything there. So it's super nice. Crown is a bit heavy, but I think it's the, the crown seal that needs to be replaced or the crown, whatever. And um, so I will, I will have that done, but it's a really neat watch. It's nice. It's, they wear uh, nicely too. They wear, they wear really nice. Nicely. Yeah. They're yeah. thin, they're yeah. comfortable. I think I have the last 40 millimeter model. Later on, I think they became 42 millimeter. Yeah. And after the last 40 millimeter. I also looked at the much older ones because I found some patch models there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the braces look really uh, crappy. Yeah. Uh, like folded folded stuff. And um, I think mine has an NSA bracelet, you know, like the um, made by NSA. So, you know, they used to make like Hoyer Monaco bracelets and things yeah, yeah. like that. Kind of a neat name, but you're right. It's, uh, it's quite thin. Yeah. So, so this is a nice uh, titanium uh, bracelet and... Uh, yeah, probably. I, I ordered some uh, some uh, marine straps from uh, cheapestnatostraps.com to uh, to go with it. So uh, they will probably arrive soon, and I will put up a picture on my Instagram feed. Nice. But yeah, that was my latest uh, watch purchase. Uh, I think two weeks ago. Ah, so so yeah, I, sh- I haven't even told you about this, but I um, I won something the other night. Um, it was a bit of a knockdown, drag out fight, but uh, our friend Eric Skier in yeah, uh, Japan. Japan always uh, helps me bid on things over there. And it's kind of a neat watch. Um, it, it's a watch that has never really been confirmed as one that was officially issued or anything like that, but it is a, um, 
It is a white-dialed Seiko 7005 with uh, luminous uh, Arabic numerals. And if you look um, through the TBT articles, I did an article on a uh, Seiko 6619, and I referenced the MACV SOG, which was a group um, uh, yeah, by the U.S. government during uh, the Vietnam War that was basically sent in undercover to do... Um, Everything from propaganda, um, you know, deal with uh, insurgents and things like that. And they were not issued uh, regular military watches like Timexes and things like that. They were given these black dialed Seikos with uh, luminous Arabic numerals because yeah. they looked like civilian watches. And the funny thing was they weren't really... I've never seen them in old Seiko catalogs, so they, it seems like they were really expressly made for that uh contract and i think they're also available at the px's um at the military base px's in vietnam for u.s soldiers so uh, the 7005 happens to be the last of the three watches that are commonly associated with this and they made a white dialed version and again there's no proof at this point that that was a watch that was was issued but they're incredibly difficult to find and they honestly don't come up in Japan that often for sale. They're typically in the U.S., of course, um, or you know maybe another uh, military force that was fighting alongside the U.S. And maybe it ends up in that country. But anyhow, I won it, and um, it arrived uh, at least uh, with Eric. So hopefully, I'll get my hands on it at some point. But you know, you can look forward at some point to to seeing that um, on Instagram and and maybe an article on the site. But Continue to find these funky uh, old Seikos that, you know, you're always surprised about uh, another model. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Good. Looking forward to that as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to get my steel uh, caliber 321. From what I've heard, it will not take long anymore. Can't wait to see that. I mean, yeah. that's going to be incredible. Me too. We, we had a pleasure to, to uh, have seen the watch in the flash. And it looks really nice and uh, very well made. So it was, yeah, my first reaction was I want to, to have one. Um, but I have not seen it on a bracelet yet because the bracelets were not ready uh, when we saw it a few months uh, ago. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to see it and with uh, what kind of box it will come and so on. Mm. I have no idea yet. Oh, that's great. Well, Good. that's all we've got for today. So we'll be back soon and, yeah. Thanks for t uh, tuning in, and as always, if you're uh, interested in giving us a show topic, let us know at uh, info at fratello.com. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for listening. Bye bye.